Welcome to Counseling Over Coffee, a podcast of Redeemer Counseling Group. Whether you are listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, we are happy to have you. And if you enjoy this podcast, it helps if you rate and review us, particularly on Apple Podcasts. And of course, any sharing of the podcast on social media is greatly appreciated. For more information about Redeemer Counseling Group, you can visit our website at RedeemerCounselingGroup.com or look us up on Facebook. And with that, here is Cherie with Counseling Over Coffee. Well, last time I opened up the topic of how to care for the people in our lives who suffer with weighty anxiety and depression which is a common struggle for both Christians and non-Christians. If you haven't heard that episode, you might want to circle back and and listen to uh, episode number 21 of season two uh, before, oh, there's my alert that I don't know how how to stop. So I apologize for that. But if you want to listen to that one first, that may be helpful or You could go back and even listen to it after this. But I was talking about a blog post by David Pallison and Paul Tripp from 2018, where I learned a lot about how to extend this kind of care. And I'm drawing from that the content of that blog post on these episodes. I've learned a lot about my own battles with anxiety and situational depression from these men, and I'm happy to pass along their insights to you. I was talking last time about the first two ways we can compassionately and effectively help others by first, realizing how much sense it makes to battle anxiety and depression due to living in a fallen and broken world. And then second, realizing how much we are alike rather than different than people whose fear and discouragement can create connection between us. If we see ourselves as different than people, then it's a lot harder to make the connection. Today, I want to share a few more really practical ways we can love well the people in our lives whose battles make it hard for them. And honestly, as we'll talk about, (laughs) hard for us too at times. Romans 8 gives us insight into just how common the angst and difficulties of living in a fallen world really are. First century believers in Rome were the target of Paul's letter, and they were living in very difficult times. And Paul was seeking to encourage them in the midst of their heavy trials. The fact is, they, like us, shouldn't be surprised by suffering. This is a part of what Paul was trying to teach them and us. He was seeking to orient their hearts and give them the right perspective. And that's this, that suffering is inevitable. It's going to happen. One researcher I read recently suggested that the average person experiences a surprise, difficult situation approximately every six months. Now, does that surprise you? It 
it did me. It that seemed like oh, it can't be that often, but then I started thinking about the last several years of my life. And I want to invite you to do the same thing. Think about it. List out a few things that have happened in your life just in the past, say, three years. Things like a job loss, a serious illness, or a, an illness that you were afraid was there for yourself or someone close to you, an unwanted move, some kind of relational pain or betrayal that was really hard the death of a loved one, financial pressures, a breakup or divorce, maybe a car accident or finding out that something serious, a family or close friend had been hiding from you or others, and a a dear friend moving away, a miscarriage. These kinds of things happen and are in others' lives in a relatively short amount of time. And we just don't take the time to even really realize how much we've been through in a short amount of years. Average it out and experiencing something hard about every six months becomes a more realistic thought, doesn't it? Following his thoughts on suffering, Paul continues on in Romans 8 to verse 22 and following when he pens these really poignant words. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves are groaning together in the pains of childbirth. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Listen, for those of you who have ever experienced childbirth or have watched someone you love birth a baby, you know the groaning that Paul is talking about. I birthed six babies and have been blessed to have assisted dozens of ladies in the birth process. And believe me, a woman groaning to bring a baby into the world is a sound like no other. And this is what Paul is using in this analogy of labor, labor where the whole world groans as we eagerly await the final resurrection. It's a powerful and honest recognition that like labor, living in this fallen world is hard and painful. So now for the third way We can help those who are groaning through anxiety and depression. And it's this. Recognize the pain is not just theirs, but it's also ours. This may surprise you that I would be taking this turn. But again, Pallison and Tripp really helped me to, to, to think more clearly about this. Loving a fearful, depressed person is hard. I recently talked to a mom whose teen regularly goes through cycles of depression and her child's struggles sometimes include deep desires to take her own life. If someone close to you is suffering like this, 
please, please recognize that you, not just the person you love, need comfort and hope and compassion. A metaphor I regularly use in counseling is that of the airplane oxygen instructions that we get at the beginning of each flight. The attendant always tells us to activate our oxygen mask first before we try to help someone else with theirs. And I used to think, these people are crazy. If I've got my children on a flight, I'm going to put the oxygen mask on them first. I'm going to try to help them first. Until I heard about a dear mom who passed out for lack of oxygen on a flight and wasn't able to help her children. And there was some disastrous consequences. The point is, because we can't help others if we're oxygen deprived, we have to make sure we have what we need and only then can we help others. Getting the so-called oxygen we need from God specifically, but also others, is so important when we're caring for an anxious or depressed person. In your efforts to love them, please, please recognize that you need support, encouragement, and comfort in order to effectively and patiently extend care for the sometimes long road ahead. As David Pallison once said, deep problems don't have quick solutions. You may be in this for the long haul, and that means you're going to need care and help. A fourth way we can help care for others is to go to God and talk with others about what's uncovered in us when someone in our lives battles anxiety or depression. The fact is that God wastes nothing in our lives for his efforts to make us more like him to get traction and take hold. And that includes the suffering of the people we love. This has become more clear to me in recent years as I'm walking alongside someone I know who battles with anxiety. Uh, Honestly, it's hard to have a close relationship with a person long-term when their struggles rub up against me on a regular basis. Why? Because honestly, I find myself becoming weary with the things that cause them anxiety, things that don't worry me, but that can become a fixation for them. I become impatient. It's, you know, it's as if I expect them to change faster than I'm able or willing to change in areas of weakness in my life. And that's, it's not a good thing. And it's not good for relationships. Also, I don't see how their struggles mirror my own. While anxiety in my life doesn't look the same as others, the truth is I get anxious regularly. It's just for different reasons. The self-righteous attitude in me that says, well, that doesn't worry me, so why should it worry you, is just unloving. And the simple fact is that the things I struggle with regularly impact the people in my life just as much as their struggles impact me. Holding the mirror of God's word up to my own heart through 
caring for this person in my life is something I want to grow in for sure. And realizing that walking with struggling people opens wide the door to our own sinful struggling hearts is a breath of fresh air as we try to help them. Now, the last practical way that we can love the anxious or depressed is to realize we're in this together. Excuse me, I took a drink. Loneliness is the most common experience of the fearful or discouraged. Why? Because friends get tired and give up. Invitations to dinners and gatherings slow down or stop. Lectures and attempts to fix the person rather than patient, loving, and listening increase. And soon, the person who struggles regularly with anxiety and depression feels like a burden. Then they'll commonly start to ask questions like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just stop this and move on? Or I'm, am I just too much for people to deal with? These questions start strugglers down a road of shame that creates more and more distance between them and those God has called to walk with them, maybe even for a long time. Walking with suffering people is tiring. It, it's important that, that we just admit that. And sometimes we just don't know what else to say. So here's one way we can genuinely help. A way that takes the relationship to a new level. Try helping them to name their struggles. Anxious, depressed people grow weary of the same old talk about the same old things. So one way we can help them is to try giving them a new, more specific way to name their experience. This means us being willing to sit with them sometimes, to ask more questions, to not assume we already know what's happening or why they're struggling, because things can change. And the causes of anxiety or discouragement or depression can also change. And it's the simple questions that matter. So maybe your friend or spouse or child has said many times things like, I don't know what's wrong, or everything is wrong. And you've just run out of ideas of how to connect with them and how to help. Because something in us and them wants to get things moving and get things unstuck and take things a little deeper. So you might try putting into words what they may be feeling and then let them agree or disagree. For example, maybe you say something like, you know, I wonder if you're feeling hopeless that things will ever change. Is that true? Again, you're not assuming, you're being curious. 
And perhaps they'll nod or say, yeah, that is how I feel. And you can simply say something like, well, tell me more about that. Or maybe you ask that question, are you feeling hopeless? And they'll say, no, I'm not hopeless. And then you follow up with, so you're not hopeless. So what do you feel? Sometimes asking a question, even the wrong question, can jumpstart their thinking and get them to be able to access what they are feeling. Either way, whether they agree or disagree, you've made some kind of connection with them, right? You've taken a baby step forward and you've essentially let them know that they're not alone. You're not going to pull away or give up. You're not, you're going to hang in there with them one step at a time. At some point, at some point, the suffering person will need to move from the comforts of the gospel that Jesus Christ provides us to the call of the gospel, which is a path that includes the hard work of growth and change where the forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead of Philippians 3, 13, and 14 will become necessary. But until they're able to embrace that call, a later verse in Philippians 4, 6 that addresses anxiety begins with, the Lord is near. The Lord is near and thus the call to be anxious for nothing. Being near to anxious, depressed people is often the very care we can best extend. Near with compassion, comfort, and friendship. This is especially helpful when God's nearness is something they just can't access right now. I was thinking about this this morning when I was a little girl, mom would tell me the story of a little boy whose mother would say, son, just talk to Jesus. He's listening. And the little boy said, yeah, maybe so, but I want Jesus with some skin on. These real and practical ways Pallison and Tripp shared to care well for the anxious and depressed people in our lives are kind of like being Jesus with skin on to others. If you'd like more help or more information or more understanding on anxiety and depression, I wanted to highly recommend two two books, both by uh, Dr. Ed Welch. One is called Depression, Looking Up from This Present Darkness. That's Depression looking up from this present darkness and his book on anxiety called running scared. I would, if you have, if you struggle with anxiety and depression yourself, or if you know someone who does, I would recommend these excellent resources. And you can also find helpful free resources at ccef.org.